0: All right, you have the lesson in front of you, and you can follow along. Now, in the message last week, the lesson on the power of positive confession, we discussed the role that Jesus plays as our advocate and as the high priest of our confession. Now, since these two things are so very important, since their functions are so very important, and also since they are not fully understood, I'm gonna review these functions of Jesus again today. Now the work of Jesus on your behalf, on our behalf here, is a defense against the activities of Satan who is working on a nonstop basis for your destruction. Satan is our adversary and accuser. Satan's motive is destruction. His method is distraction. His goal is always the destruction of the believer. His method of distraction involves working to separate the believer from the word of God that the believer hears and the the faith that the, the believer and hearer develops in the word that comes from having heard the word. Satan knows that if he can kill your faith and kill your faith in the word or keep you in a church where the word is not really taught you become susceptible to the negative cross currents of doubt, unbelief, and fear, and many other things that cripple you in your Christian walk. These are the Christ currents, or the cross currents, I should say, that paralyze you in your efforts to make progress in your spiritual and material life. <clears throat> now we're warned against our adversary, the devil, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That's First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which says the following. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is lurking about, seeking to hear you make negative statements about your life and your circumstances, whatever you're experiencing at the time. Satan wants to hear you say things like this. This disease is going to kill me. Or I will never be able to make ends meet. Or I'm too unimportant for God to care about me. Or the deck is stacked against me. I will never get promoted. Or I was doomed from the beginning because of my race, my age, or ethnicity. Now we've all heard people utter statements like this. This is what Satan wants you to say. All of these beliefs and similar ones are contrary to the word of God and they constitute negative confessions that Satan can use against you in the court of life and in the court of heaven. When you make negative statements, negative confessions about yourself, you are in fact agreeing with what Satan says about you. When you speak and act out, act out of fear, you are believing the word of Satan. When you act in faith, you are believing the word of God. Now, Satan uses your negative confession against you in his role of accuser of you before the Father, Father God. Satan's role of accuser is seen in the word that we find in Revelation. Now, Margaret was good to point this out to me. And and anytime you find a typo or a mistake, you know, we tend to add S to uh, Matthew's gospel because it's Matthew's gospel. So we'll say Matthew's, but it's really only Matthew revelation is revelation not revelations okay so you can scratch the s off of every time you come to it thank you Margaret it's all right and the reason that some of us slip into saying revelations is because what do you get from revelation revelations (laughs) but it's really the book of revelation without an s okay satisfied, Margaret Then I heard a loud voice, this is what Revelation 12.10 says, by the way, Revelation 12.10 says. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, and that's us, by the way, members of the body of Christ, who accuse them, this is the accuser of Satan, who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, as I said last week, as a believer, this is why you have to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, works day and night accusing you before God. Satan works to keep you from knowing the word or works to separate you from the word that you have heard and have faith for. Satan wants you to be ill-equipped or unable to combat him with the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember the example that we had from the Bible, Luke's Gospel 4, verses 1 through 13, where, the Satan, where Satan is tempting Jesus, and each time Jesus combats that temptation or test with using the word. He says, it is written, it is written, and he cites something that is written. He's citing basically, and in this case, the Old Testament, because we don't have the New Testament at this point. He's citing something that was written in what we call the Old Testament to defeat uh, uh, the devil. So Satan wants you not to know the words to speak in your defense. Now again, as I I said last time, just think for a moment what Revelation 12.10 is saying to us, it's telling us, it's telling you that Satan is accusing you before God day and night. Now just visualize the court of law here in the city of New York where a prosecuting attorney is making accusations against you to the judge, you being the defendant. Then visualize Satan standing before God in heaven as a prosecuting attorney accusing you. What do you think Satan is accusing you with? Just like the attorney is speaking words to the judge in a court of law here on earth, Satan is using words. And most likely, he is using your words. The words that you have spoken, the words that you have uttered, the words that you have confessed, the words that you may have just casually said, uh, uh, something about your situation you know sometimes when people make a mistake especially women sometimes and they, they make a mistake and they'll just it'll just blur out you know I'm just a complete utterly messed up mess and so forth well you don't want to make those kinds of statements about yourself because there's somebody listening to help carry out what you just said so forth so you got to be careful what you say now this is why we stress to you to watch your mouth Iva did a whole series on this. Watch your mouth, which was excellent. Watch your mouth and watch what you say that are negative things or confessions about your life circumstances. Satan is a legalist, and what you say can and will be used against you by him in the court of life and in the court of heaven. Now, thank God, we have Jesus as our advocate and high priest. We need help in defending against Satan's accusations, and God has provided that help. God has provided an advocate, a public defender, who is way above reproach. In fact, God has provided a public public defender who has been taught the law by the judge of all the ages, God himself. No one knows the law better than Jesus, and the public he defends is the public of the kingdom of God, and that is who we are the body of believers, the kingdom of God. We know that we have an advocate from the words in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. That's little John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, which says this. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, that's what it really means. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, what else does the word say? after else should be the word does, what else does the word say about Jesus as our advocate and public defender? In Hebrews chapter three, verse one, it says this. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now, when you combine his high priestly function with his legal function, then Jesus becomes the advocate or counsel for our defense and at the same time, the high priest of our confession. Both roles very, very important for our defense. And we're going to talk a little bit about them uh, as we go along. Now, before we discuss this role of Jesus as advocate and high priest of our confession, again, because we're reviewing from last week, let's go back and see how we got to this point where we have him as our advocate and high priest. We read in Mark chapter 16, verse 19, the gospel of Mark, text, uh, chapter 16, verse 19, where it says this. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, that's them being the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, doesn't it sound to you as if Jesus is up in heaven, sitting down next to the father and resting after finishing his work of salvation here on earth. But this is what you need to know, and this is what we want to stress to you in this message. In reality, Jesus has never stopped working on our behalf. His work today on our behalf in heaven is a continuation of what he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 17. When he says this, he says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. The work of Jesus on our behalf never ends because he tells us this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20, where he says this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is always with us. Now, to fully understand this assurance from Jesus that he will be with us even to the end of the age have to recall some basic facts about Jesus. And this is what I want to give you so you'll understand how he serves as our advocate and the high priest of our confession and why it's a continuous work of service on our behalf on the part of Jesus. Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus was not only there at the beginning of creation with God in Genesis, in the very first line in Genesis. But everything God created was created through Jesus, who is the living logos, or word. Jesus is a living word. We see this set forth in John's gospel, chapter one, verses one through three. That's John's gospel, chapter one, verses one, two, three, which says this, in verse one, in the beginning, in Genesis, how does Genesis start? It says, in the beginning. This is taking you back to Genesis one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the word here is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the word, the living logos. Logos is another, it's a Greek term for word. Now, verse two, he, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. Three, and this is important, because it's important in terms of all that has been done for us by and through Jesus that we're going to talk about in this message in succeeding uh, uh, messages all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was was made all that God does for us you'll see it in scriptures that we're going to come to later in this message it's through Christ in Christ by Christ Christ was the vehicle for all the things that were done on our behalf now personally in terms of our salvation as believers God ordained our salvation through Jesus Christ who executed or carried out the plan of salvation by his life and his shed blood. So Jesus was at the beginning of our faith. This is what I want you to understand. He was at the beginning of our faith in him that led to our salvation. Now this faith is expressed by us according to what is set forth in Romans chapter 10 verses nine and 10. And you know these by heart. Nine, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is this original confession, this is what I want you to understand, it's this original confession by us unto salvation that forever links us to Jesus. We become his, we become a child of God, an heir of God a joint heir with Jesus. Salvation is the beginning of our faith and salvation represents the beginning. Listen to this. It represents the beginning of the creation work of Jesus within our hearts and the hearts of all mankind that's receptive. In other words, let me just go back and explain this to you. God created the universe and everything in it and he created humankind. And he finished that creation. Remember on the sixth day and on the seventh day he rested. Jesus in his work as Messiah and Savior began his creation work a creation work within our hearts, changing our hearts and changing who we manifest as until we achieve that perfection that existed at the very beginning of time, that, be, that existed with Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning. His work is to work with us until we achieve that perfection. And by the way, you can see why he's with us until the end because it's gonna take all of us until the end <laughs> to reach that perfection. But that's his work. So he is with us from that beginning and uh, the work is not finished until the level of perfection and that's returning to page five. That level of perfection is achieved by all who were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, image of God's son. God called us. You remember this, he called us. He chose us, we didn't choose him. He chose us before the beginning of time. That's what predestined means. He predestined us to ultimately to conform to the image of Jesus. So that's what Jesus, especially working through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is Jesus is our divine advocate in heaven. The Holy Spirit is our other divine advocate. His divine advocacy work, he's working from within us, representing Christ Jesus to us, so that the inside that's in our recreated spirit from being born again will ultimately come to the outer, You know, where we manifest the fruit of the spirit, which are all those things that, you know, love, goodness, kindness, and so forth and so on. The Holy Spirit is working within us, representing Jesus to us. So he is our first divine advocate. The Holy Spirit is our first divine advocate. Now, uh, conform to the image of his son. As stated in Romans 8.29, that's where you'll find it. Jesus refers to this ultimate goal of perfection in Matthew Chapter five, verse 48, where he says this, and you have it there at the top of the page. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus committed is committed to us until this end day when we have all and all of receptive mankind, when we have and all receptive mankind alike has achieved that condition of holiness and perfection. That's why he's with us from the beginning until the end. Now here we are reminded of Apostle Paul's assurance Uh, recorded in Philippians 1 6 where he says this being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ I like the way the Amplified Bible renders this scripture in Philippians 1 6 and I have it right there for you to see it reads as follows and I am convinced and sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you and that good work in us began when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, our confession of salvation. He who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing, developing what? Developing that good work that's posited in us, and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. So we are a work in progress and Jesus is committed to being with us all the way. So the bottom line for the believer is that Jesus will be with us always until the end of the age. Since Jesus is with us at the beginning of our faith with our verbal confession of him as Lord and Savior and continues to be with us until we reach that level of holiness and perfection that he speaks of above in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Author, meaning he began our faith and he is the finisher of our faith. Now, this is why you see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, which says this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us This is that race towards perfection, looking unto whom? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, as I said above, Jesus was with us at the very beginning of our faith as we chose salvation. And I want to be clear here because we're taught as Christians that the father of faith, the father of our faith is Abraham. Jesus being the author of our faith does not negate that. And Jesus answered it this way when he was questioned by a group of Jews when the name of Abraham came up and he was saying how he knew Abraham and so forth. They were saying, well, we're looking at your age. How could you possibly know Abraham? And his answer then was, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. What he's saying here is that I was before all things. So he is the author and finisher of our faith in that it begins, he begins it and he carries it through to completion. So that's why he remains our advocate and the priest of our high, uh, um, he's the high priest of our confession in heaven. Now the fact that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith is simply another way of saying that he is the beginning and the end of all things. He is the beginning and the end of all things. Remember, in the beginning was the word. In other words, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God. And it goes on to tell you that Jesus was God. Jesus, uh, the Son and the Father are one and so forth. And nothing that was made was made without him and so forth. So he is the beginning and the end of all things. And you, you hear this term, Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega. Jesus proclaimed it himself to be the Alpha and the Omega, meaning the beginning and the end. We see this in Revelation without an S, chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, he's the Alpha, that's the beginning. You know that Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet and Omega is the last letter in the greek alphabet and uh just just a little background information the jewish priests rabbis when they would do a document they would put the letter alpha in front of it and the greek letter omega at the end signifying that this is a completed statement this is a completed everything is contained in it so jesus is the alpha and omega in terms of everything, in terms of us, in terms of all creation. Now, we know that uh, Jesus is in the beginning of Genesis and Genesis 1, because it says, as I just said in the beginning, uh, he was with God and so forth. Now, let's go to the very last words in Revelation. Uh, and I'll never add an Esther Revelations again in my life. Now, go to the very end of Revelation. The last chapter of Revelations is chapter 22. The last two scriptures in uh, chapter 22 are, are, are scriptures 20 and 21, and see what they say. 20 says this. This is Revelations 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things, these things that had been written in the book of Revelation, the revelations that were brought forth in Revelation, He who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. That's Jesus speaking. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. These are the exact words from the end of Revelation. And verse 21, which is the last verse in the Bible, says this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So I'm just showing you how Jesus is the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. And so it may not have ever been pointed out to you. You may never have noticed this, but he starts, so he is the beginning of the Old Testament and the end of the New Testament. The old, the whole Bible is about Jesus, by the way, and that's what St. Augustine meant when he said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's what he's saying. In other words, Jesus was at the beginning, and is what the Old Testament is about, Believe it or not, not just what we consider the New Testament. So he was from the beginning, he is in, he's the alpha and the omega. Now, again, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, meaning that he, again, that he begins our faith and he carries it to completion. Since we all are a work in progress, Jesus knows that until we reach that desired goal of ultimate perfection, we all live in a relative state. In this relative state, relative state that's short of perfection, we will encounter challenges and difficulties and other attacks of the devil that may cause us to fall or stumble along the way. As we begin in faith, it takes time to develop this faith from the beginning into strong faith that's strong enough to resist all of the tricks of the devil. Jesus also knows that some will fall prey to sin. He knows that sometimes that sin may come from a lack of knowledge of the word or it may be fear or unbelief in the absolute word of God that is known in other words when I say the absolute word of God I mean this the word says that by his stripes we are healed but you hear so many people say something like this but you know what this is cancer this is different this is not a headache does it really include that and so forth the word is absolute by his stripes we are healed that's healed of anything no matter what the challenge in the way of disease sickness or illness and so forth It is in these key moments that Jesus stands and serves as our advocate and the high priest of our confession. Now, this really calls for shouting because look at what we have. We have the author and finisher of our faith. We have the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of all things. And we have the maker of all things representing us against Satan, the accuser. You could hardly ask for more than that. Now, let's go back to the language in 1 John Uh, Chapter 2 verse 1. That's little John. That's 1 John. It's next to Revelations in the back uh, where it says this. My little children. I'm reading uh, 1 John 2 1. My little children these things are right to you so that you may not sin but if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteousness. Now as I pointed out last time the word advocate is a legal term. In Greek this word refers to a courtroom scene. Literally, advocate means counsel for the defense. As we saw in Revelation 12:10, Satan stands before the throne of God accusing the brethren, that's us, day and night. The high tribunal of God is open 24 hours a day, every day of the week. So he's accusing us all the time, day and night. There's never a holiday, and thank God for that. But thank God that we have Jesus as our advocate there. Now remember this, that Jesus not only functions as our advocate, he serves as the the high priest of our confession, where he literally takes the words of our confession. This is what's very important for you to understand. He literally takes the words of our confession to use them as our defense. Now what's the word of our confession? It's what we say. It's what we let come out of our mouth and so forth about our life and about our situation. When you say something like, this is hopeless, there's no way out. I can't see how any good can come out of this. You're confessing this. so But Jesus can't use those kinds of confessions. But guess who can? Your adversary, the devil. Now, uh, unlike earthly lawyers, our counsel for the defense, Jesus cannot be bought or intimidated. At the same time, this counsel for the defense is not going to be concerned about whether or not you can pay the fee or not. In fact, the services of this law firm are given free to all the citizens of the kingdom. That's us, without charge. Now, this is what you need to, to listen carefully to. How does this counsel for the defense defend us in the high court of heaven when we have an adversary, the accuser, who stands accusing us day and night? As advocate and high priest of our confession, Jesus defends us on the basis of two things. He provides intercession. Now he pleads the blood. See, the, bl- he, the blood is already there. So the blood is pleaded on our behalf. He provides intercession. And two, we, that's a Christian brother, and that's you and me, we provide our confession. Now, follow these next couple of statements carefully. If we do not provide our confession, In other words, if we don't say what the word of God says about our situation, in other words, we are suffering financial setbacks or we're suffering an attack in our body, if we don't say what the word says, the word says, by stripes I am healed. The word also says that my God shall provide every need of mine according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you don't confess that, then you throw the case to the opposing attorney who is Satan. Top of page eight. And you will be convicted. However, by bringing our confession, when we bring our confession, which is confessing the word of God, our attorney Jesus has irrefutable or irrefutable evidence that can exonerate us. By putting his evidence together with our evidence, it becomes an open and shut case in favor and we go free. Now his evidence is that he knows who we are. He knows that we belong to him and so forth. Now, let's look again at Revelation 12, 10, and we're going to add verse 11 here. Revelation 12, 10, and we're going to add verse 11. 10, you've heard before. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast out. But listen to verse 11. And they overcame him. In other words, he's accusing It's day and night, but then verse 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life to the death. Jesus defends us against the accuser on the basis of his shed blood, and guess what else? He defends us with the word of our testimony. Whether you realize it or not, the word testimony is another word for confession. Testimony is what you say, what you confess to. If you sin or fall short in some way by confessing negative or erroneous beliefs or yield to some temptation of the devil, this is what Jesus does. When he appears before the Father as our advocate and high priest of our confession, Jesus will remind the Father of your Romans ten nine ten 10 confession of him as Lord and Savior. Jesus will take your salvation of confession and say to the Father, and then I gave Jesus these words to say, he will say to the father, he or she belongs to me. He is still one of us, still your child or son, still one of your heirs and a joint heir with me. And thus he is still part of your family. He can do this if he has your confession of faith and salvation. That's what you confess to. That's an example of how he uses your confession to help defend you. If you confess your sins Jesus is there and ready to remind God of what his word says in 1 John 1, 9. This is a familiar scripture. The word of God in 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he, meaning Father God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus will remind the Father of his words that we are entitled to if we indeed confess our sins. Then Jesus will remind the Father that he has said in his word, And this is very important that he has loved us, his children, with an everlasting love. And that his children have a right to the assurance contained in Romans 8, 38, 39, which says this. This is Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, no matter what's happening to you, I mean, sometimes somebody might say, you know, you did something so awful, there's no way God can, can forgive you. You need to know this scripture, that nothing, nothing separates you from the love of God. Now, to say it again, because this is important, the way Jesus defends us is on the basis of his shed blood and on the basis of our confession. But if you do not make a confession that is consistent with the word of God, Jesus does not have anything to defend you with. And that's what Apostle Price writes about in his book. He said he didn't know this. He didn't know that, first of all, he didn't know he had an accuser who was you know, accusing him day and night. And he certainly didn't know he had a defense, which was in the word of God. And he didn't really know the word of God And he was a minister of the gospel. He didn't know that he had defenses in the word of God. So if you do not make a confession that is consistent with the word of God, then Jesus does not have anything to defend you with. And if your confession reflects the negatives about your situation, whether this is a negative confession about your health, finances, or your standing with God, you allow the prosecuting attorney, that's Satan, to make a case against you that sticks. Why? Because with your negative confession, You are actually saying what Satan is saying about your case. That is, in fact, you are sick and dying. You are broke, busted, and disgusted. Or you are just an old sinner trying to get saved by God. You're falling right into what Satan is saying about you. Now, you have to learn to speak life to your life and learn to say or confess what Father God says about you so that you can bring your confession in line with Jesus shed blood and then you win. As Revelation 12:10 clearly says, you are saved by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony, by what you say or confess. As our advocate, Jesus is pleading our defense against Satan's accusations, not only with his precious blood, but also with our testimony, our confession, what we say, what we confess. This is how affirming or confessing biblical truths in other words the truth of the word in the bible results in victorious living so we're going to turn and begin to look at some of those biblical statements of truth so we know so that we so that we will know what to confess from god's word let us now consider some important biblical principles which can determine how victorious you will be in your christian walk the victorious Christian life is based on your positive, positive confession of four basic biblical truths. A positive affirmation of the following four truths will compel Satan to acknowledge your authority and your victory over him. This will turn back the enemy's power to successfully bind, hinder, and oppress you. God expects you, and we're going to discuss each one of these in detail. God expects you to confess, number one, what you are in Christ. Two, where you are in Christ. Three, what you possess in Christ. And four, what you can do in Christ. And as I say, we're going to cover these in detail. When you get a revelation of these four things, you are well on your way to the top. You're on your way to a victorious Christian life. You're on your way to living the kind of life that Christ gave his life for. Apostle Price writes this. He says, Christ did not give up his life. For you to be defeated he did not give up his life for you to be walked on like a doormat christ did not come down here and defeat death hell the grave satan and every demon for you to be laid up on some bed of affliction for 25 years this was not why he came jesus could have he could have remained in heaven and you would still have the curse now although the vast majority of christians are experiencing a whipped and somewhat defeated lifestyle And because God does not reach down supernaturally and change this lifestyle, they think that their situation must be the will of God. Because they have never been taught, and this is a great line, because they have never been taught, they fail to realize that it is not up to God. It is up to us whether we live defeated or live victorious. Not up to God. God's already given us everything. He's given us Jesus. He's given us salvation. He's given us eternal life. He's given us all the things that are in the Bible in the way of promises, gifts, and so on. And it's what we do with those things that makes what we do with those things. Now, here's a scripture that explains this. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Matthew 18, 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says this. This is at the bottom of page 10. He says, assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind, and I put you in capitals, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice two things in this statement by Jesus. First, he says, Whatever you bind and whatever you loose, the person taking action is you, not God. The second point to notice is that the word earth comes before the word heaven. In each of the statements, Notice that the binding and loosening starts on earth. It does not start in heaven and come down to earth. This lets you know that it is up to you to take some action. It is your choice and you have the power to do something about your life. Now, the basic way you bind and loose is by what you say, what you confess about things on earth, the things that come out of your mouth. In other words, you can bind bind that spirit of infirmity and weakness, that spirit of fear, that spirit of indecision, that spirit of inharmony, that spirit of lack. You can bind that and then you can loose. This is you binding us on earth and then you can loose the spirit of prosperity, the spirit of health, the spirit of goodwill, the spirit of harmony, the spirit, the spirit of life and so forth. Bind and loose. But you bind them with your mouth here on earth. If you bind them here on earth, they will be bound in heaven. Now, I'll mention this you know maybe next time, but this is really Jesus giving us what he called the keys to the kingdom. You remember this in another scripture? He says, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. These are the keys to the kingdom, so forth. And we have them. We have them. But what you do, in other words, <laughs> it's so obvious. If you put yourself in a straitjacket, jacket, you bound yourself you put yourself in a straitjacket and you say, there's no way out of this. You've just straitjacketed yourself and so forth. And unfortunately, again, as Apostle Price says, if you haven't been taught, you don't know. And that's why we call ourselves the teaching ministry here of Apostle Frederick Casey Price. We're following his teaching and training, training us to teach the word of God. So you won't be bound by none words of life That are the words in the Bible. Now, fact one, we are to confess what we are in Christ. We must confess what we are in Christ if we expect to live the victorious Christian life. Now, this statement refers to our standing with God. According to God's word, you are everything that God says you are. That's in the Bible. And whether you are presently living or experiencing it or not. In God's sight, you are a winner. So God wants you to live and act like a winner. Whether you realize it or not, God only operates with winning. There's no defeat in God, even though for years we have been sold a bill of goods by those who supposedly represented him. They told us things like this, sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes almost level to the ground. That is not scriptural. That's not in the Bible. That's not what the word says about you. Word doesn't say that you're going to be down sometime and up sometime and sometimes level to the ground. What does the word say? It says, In all things you are already victorious. In all things you are more than a conqueror. That's what the word says. That's the word. Now, in terms of what we are in Christ, let's look at a very familiar scripture. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You're familiar with this because you've heard us teach it so many times here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It says if anyone is in Christ, how does a person get into Christ? You get into Christ when you are born again by doing what Romans 10.9 9 says, which we, I think, uh, cited twice this morning. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you do this, you are in Christ. If you have done what Romans 10 9 says, then you are in Christ. And guess what? Christ is in you. And you are now a new creation. Now, you hear this all the time, but I'm going to go into a little detail about what this means because I don't know how many of you could actually tell me what it means to be a new creation. But I'll give you, I'll give you a little I'll elaborate on this a little bit more uh, later on in the message. But okay, this is a start. Before this, before being born again, you were a creation of God already, but now you are a new creation. What does it mean to be new? New refers to something that has never been before. I call it a new species. This is what God says you are, something that has never been before. So what is this new In this new creation that has never been before? What's new is, read along with me in that uh, Third paragraph. What is new about you in this new creation is the fact that you now have vested in you and within you the power of the full Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit residing within us. And we see this set forth in a number of scriptures, including following. And I'll go over these quickly because we've, we've done these before. First Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen says this: "Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells where, And you?" Number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you? Where is it? Whom you have from God? And third, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says this, or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? When you do Romans 10:9 and 10. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. We see also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, which says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the ongoing work of Christ within us, working with and through the Holy Spirit to bring to our body outwardly God's glory that is, it has been deposited in our hearts within, that is recreated when you're born again. Uh, and so this is, this is, this is all made... Possible through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is why Jesus remains with us until the end, and He stands with us as our hope of glory. Now, the new creation, a new species that we are in Christ Jesus, is energized to meet any challenge, test, trial, or temptation with the overwhelming power of the Godhead. Just think about this you have the power of the Godhead, the Trinity, living on the inside of you. God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you are told this. 1 John 4, 4, at the top of page 13. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Obviously, the he who is in you, the composite of the Trinity or the Godhead, is greater than anything in the world. There's nothing greater than the power of the Godhead. And this all results from being a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have to confess what we are in Christ Jesus. This is what we are, I'm telling you what you are. What else is new through our new creation in Christ Jesus that never existed before? And this is really important. Now I know I've actually taught this before, but but not in this context. What's new in this new creation is our relationship with God. That's dramatically different from the relationship God had with any of his people in the Old Testament, including the great prophets and great patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and all of the other great names that we know, all of these great leaders, and listen to this, all these other great leaders were creations of God, they were servants of God, and scripture tells us that God was with them, that's how they were able to do the things they were able to do. When you read the story of, say so take somebody like Joseph, when Joseph went through all of his travails, you know being sold into slavery and, and, in, and, and, and ending up in Egypt and ending up in jail, you'll always see the little phrase, and God was with Joseph, God was with Joseph. We have a whole different relationship than that. Through our status as a new creation in Christ, we're no longer servants of God or just his creations, but we are children and indeed, sons of God, as we're told in Romans 8, 16, and 17, which speaks about children. Romans 8, uh, verses 16 and 17. 16 says this, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs of Christ. No one in the Old Testament could make that statement. In Romans 8:14, we're told this, for as many as are led by the spirit of God... These are the sons of God. We know that a child or son has a much higher status or status or status with his father than a servant. Those in the Old Testament, however great, they were servants of God. We are children or sons of God. They were servants of God. We are a child of God. A child and a son has much higher status with his father than a servant. We also know that since the Godhead dwells within us that I've just been talking about, it is no longer a case of God just being with us. God is now in us through his Holy Spirit that resides within us forever. So we don't have to run to the highest mountain or to the depths of the sea looking for God. God is with us all the time. He's within us. He's at hand. So through this status as a new creation in Christ Jesus, you remember the, what we said, you have to confess what you are in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. That's your confession. You now have the possibility of a life without limits, a life that is free from any boundaries, mental and cultural limitations set by human thinking. You really have an opportunity to live a limitless life. And so few people really realize that. That you don't have any limits on your life. The limits you have on your life are really self imposed. You have now what Thoreau, that's Henry David Thoreau, who wrote Walden, he says, you now have the possibility of living with the license of a higher order of being. That's the new species that I'm talking about. Or what Ralph Waldo Emerson calls living with the privilege of the immeasurable mind. That's a mind that's beyond measure, it has no limitation. As pointed out before, with Christ in us, (coughs) and this is said in the word, we have within us all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ? He's within us. So all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are within us. And I mean, that's that's so incredible that it's kind of hard for people to fathom that some tap into this vast resource the storehouse of wisdom and knowledge while far too many never do but as a new creation we all have the potential of this genius this is what god says when he says you are a new creation you are a new creation So your affirmation or confession should be i am a new creation in christ you are confessing where you are in christ and because of this new creation whatever confronts you you can say I can do this. I can understand this. I can know this. I can be this or I can beat this. I can because I am. I am a new creation in Christ. We'll continue this next week.